The Anton Savage Show on News Talk. I have with me Tara Duggan, Group Deputy Head of News for Bauer Media Audio Ireland and John Lee, Executive Editor of DMG Media Ireland. And reading between the lines, that means News Talk and the Daily <laughs> Mail. But, you know, there's others in both of their stables as well. Uh, John, given that I've mentioned the Daily Mail, let's start there because your paper this weekend has a um, headline on the front page, FFTDs. Housing is crippling us. And the subhead used 10 billion surplus to tackle homes crisis or risk a trouncing. Deputies plead with party leadership. Now, this is interesting because I for a long time have wondered whether or not the main political parties believed that the housing issue was a vote risker. Because while it has gotten a lot of attention, I don't know if they thought it was going to cost them votes. This suggests they do. Um, they've, they have known that um, for since the outset. Um, Craig Hughes has done a kind of a compendium here in the Daily Mail today. He's a bit of an expert on housing um, and the figures and everything else and he pulls it all together in a readable piece. But they, which Craig mentions in an analysis piece here, they knew it was a problem, okay? And I, and I hate to go back um, to where, we, to the start, but that's where it started. And the fundamental problem they're now realising is that the 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 Titanic can't be turned away from the iceberg in time because of the nature of infrastructure building. Dar O'Brien came in and said he had a plan for housing. It took 16 months for that Housing for All document to come forward. Um, far be it for me to say it, but when one reads the, the um, Housing for All, you do question the obsession, well, I know this sounds silly in the context of the, of the, of the common narrative, with the obsession with building houses. Two thirds of that document is about um, other things besides building houses. It's about taking um, void stock back into back into play. It's about derelict housing, and there's also a section of modular housing. Now, the feeling amongst other TDs that I've spoken to is that there was absolutely no effort. And sorry, I, I now think back to a conversation I had with a, ca- a cabinet minister that that low low hanging fruit was not tackled. All of that was gone. And now, to my, to my eyes, dealing with over-the-shop living in, in city centres could have shown a great um, explosion of, um, of, of activity and everything else. Well, can I question that, John? Because I, if, if you look in, if, if ever a business has to make cutbacks, when they look at the, the balance sheet, they will almost always discover, particularly if it's a service industry, you look and you say, well, you know, we can root around the edges of this or we can do the big stuff. And the big stuff usually means salaries. Likewise in this, you can root around with vacant plots, you can root around with living over the shop and all that kind of stuff. But surely the only way you actually solve this problem is build houses fast. B- building houses then has a finite, has a finite um, uh, goal which is you can only build a certain amount of houses. And they kind of faff around this, but there is a shortage of workers. There, there, there are limited and very limited housing goals there as well. So we, we, we base the original housing goals and housing for all, which I said was 16 months in, in, in fruition. They were based on the previous census. Now the government itself admits that those circa 33,000 average a year over 10 years are not good enough and they need to have a housing target of 50,000 a year to meet meet demand. There are other things and again this might be a slightly contentious thing to say. So we had COVID. We were told by Michal Martin and, and, and Leo Varadkar that this was the great social challenge of our lifetimes. They shut down housing construction for two years. Virtually, there was two or three different um, uh, housing shutdowns. It was open to my eyes, and I did a lot of work in COVID. It was open air working, and other essentials like supermarkets continued unabated. So, 
I then question whether, um, how can I put it, um, a middle-aged man like Michal Martin, uh, who does not have to concern himself with the ins and outs of getting himself a property to live in, um, whether he truly understands the problem. And I just, I, I don't see that in all that I analyse and all that I write about housing and I've done so for many years now. Are you surprised, Tara, that about the fact that this is converting into a vote issue? Because I know it seems like it should, but if you take health as a case in point, health is one of those things that mm-hmm. always comes in as a top issue in polls that people want to talk about. Yeah but it doesn't tend to influence what they put on the ballot box. Absolutely. And you asked the question, did the government understand that this was a vote risker? No, probably they did not. But also, conversely, is it a vote getter? I'm not entirely sure that it is. You know, we have ambitious targets in housing for all. Nearly 30,000 new homes delivered last year. The target again, similar number for this year. As John rightly says, where would we have been had other decisions been made during the COVID pandemic and we could have built more housing during periods where building sites were, were shut off? then. However, you know, this comes, this story this morning comes on the back of homeless figures that we had yesterday. Another record high uh, achieved is the word I use in inverted commas. Obviously, it's appalling. 11,988 homeless people at the end of March. 3,472 of those children. If we've 30, if it's, if it's a simple issue, and we had 30,000 houses built last year and we're building 30,000 houses this year. In you know there would have been completions as well certainly through the, the latter half of 2021. Well then we you know 60 70,000 homes we've 11,000 homeless. So it's not a simple issue because the maths don't equate. If it was as simple as solving the homeless issue then the 30,000 houses that were delivered last year the 11,988 people would be living in them. Would they? Would they not? So it's not simple. It is very complex. And as John says, you know, we've had this week, for example, um, Enterprise Ireland, we've had uh, the Dublin Chamber and we've had the Galway Chamber. All three point out that businesses are turning away business because they cannot retain and and attract uh, workers because there's nowhere for them to live. So it's a much wider issue. And, you know, again, as John pointed out, we need people to build the houses. We don't have enough people working in construction. We've, you know, there's a lot of work being done in terms of um, uh, highlighting apprenticeships again. But at some point in time, we're going to have to try and hire in foreign workers and there's nowhere for them to live. Is there not a bit of a precedent, John, in that most of the problems that we have had to deal with of significant level, particularly capital problems in the country, you can deal with by flinging huge amounts of cash at them. And currently we have huge amounts of cash. We have corporation tax receipts that are beyond the dreams of creases. You don't get the sense that the people have decided, okay, this is like the banking crisis where we were able to find 30-odd billion at the drop of a hat. Start offering big money to people to build houses and get on with it. Is it more complicated than that? It's it's an infrastructure problem, but... um, We've thrown a lot of money at health, the health service, and that hasn't um, that hasn't um, uh, had the results we would have hoped for. I just would question the method. Like this comes to, this comes down to management. And again, I go back and I wrote this uh, um, a conversation I had with the cabinet minister about how they observed how the Department of Housing has done its work and how Dara O'Brien has done his work. There. Are a lot of very a new a new weren't as keen say on on um, re- restoring um, failed housing stock above shop living. There there are 
I would say 100, 200,000 vacant um, properties or living spaces above shops in, in cities. There's been absolutely no effort done on that because you go into a government department, you're immediately told all the reasons you can't do, deal with above the shop. There's questions about ownership, there's fire regulations, there's everything else. And that involved, I, I, I feel, a lot of work to be done in an office, boring um, data, dealing with d- data, dealing with p- managers and everybody else. Um, there was discussion, say, about, about about restoring housing stock. And I remember Owen Keegan coming into a committee in Leinster House a year ago and said, we can't do that. We haven't got the staff to do it. So throwing money at it clearly won't. I think it's a, it's been a managerial issue and it has been definitely something that they've been aware of. But where the eviction ban issue came brought everything into... Um, focus was they sat they watched us this was this was something they knew was coming to an end and i think the political establishment the coalition at once looked at the department of housing when when they saw the lack of preparation that was done for the ending of that eviction ban and they realized this is not working the department is not working while we're talking about um, stories and issues that are taking a long duration to solve, the the, the one relating to housing is in the front of uh, John Lee, your paper, the, the Irish uh, Daily Mail. The Irish Times leads with a similar one. This is a different matter, but another one that is taking forever to come to a resolution because the Irish Times lead story is officials told to preserve ESAT license files. And Arthur Beasley writes that officials involved in awarding Dennis O'Brien a mobile phone licence nearly 30 years ago have been directed to identify and preserve old diaries and files from that era as the government prepares to defend a court action against the contentious award to the businessman. Now, it is worth remembering that the Moriarty Tribunal found that uh, £300,000 sterling travelled from Dennis O'Brien uh, giving the reasonable inference that the motive was connected to um, Michael Larry's position as communications minister and the tribunal described itself as satisfied that that and other benefits were demonstrably referable to the acts and conduct of Mr. Larry in regard to the awarding of that licence. And when that finding came out, I think everybody thought, brace yourselves, there's going to be a lot of legal actions. How is it, Tara, that it's now 2023 and this relates to matters that happened in the mid-90s? I I won't lie. When I woke up and saw this on the headline on the Irish Times this morning, I thought I'd woken up in 2005. It was sort of like a Bobby Ewing coming out of the shower moment. Because, yes, quite rightly, I think everyone thought, A, that this was done, uh, resolved, but no, not according to uh, one of the uh, failed bidders um, who has been mounting over a long period of time legal action. That being Declan Ganley and the Comcast. That's correct, yes. And uh, it seems that this now is getting its or it's moving towards getting its day and days in court. Um, What I find extraordinary here is that they've uh, written to officials across seven government departments saying, Go back, find your diaries, find your files, anything that you from have. From 1995, from 1998. I don't even have receipts for stuff that I bought 10 days ago. It's And I understand, you know, there will be. I mean, if you even go through the list that they've been asked to search for documentation that may be stored on, your work laptop or computer, your mobile phone, your BlackBerry home computer, any other portable devices such as USB keys, floppy disks. 
Floppy disks. Who has floppy disks still hanging around? Although there may be some in attics. But, you know, um, it, it just seems extraordinary that from this period uh, in 1990 to 2002, that there will be any critical mass of documents from that period. Now, the other thing, of course, is it's high stakes because there are big numbers in play, John. There's, there's the big numbers of the money that transferred from O'Brien to uh, Lowry through uh, people associated with Dennis O'Brien. I mean, 300k at the time is a lot of money now. But Dennis O'Brien ultimately went on to make what 250 million off the sale of this there's a lot of there's a lot of incentive for people to pay a lot of lawyers in this I, my memory was it was twice that um, that he made out of the initial sale I'm not sure where ESAT Digifone was it sold to British BT, Tele- BT yeah. in, in the end yeah. right. and it was the foundation stone of his empire um, I've reread the piece there I'm not this isn't a comment on your um, verbosity but during your intro I reread the piece by Arthur, Arthur Beasley a brilliant journalist <laughs> During your intro and I reread the, the piece And the one that, that was actually a bit of a dig wasn't it But the one thing I still can't see is an explanation for why it's taken so long to come to court and it it, it maybe that's accepted in the in the in high business that this this is something or maybe they were looking around for a DVD player because there's a few DVDs mentioned Um Mr. O'Brien has the has the resources and the will to fight any court case, and I suppose you have to have your um your your ducks in a row. Make sure you're you are confident in your court case when you go to court with him. Um, and he uh, he has, as he proved throughout the Moriarty Tribunal, a the belief that he did not accept many many of its findings, and he he never has, and he's willing to back that 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 lack of belief in Moriarty up in the courts and um, he has no fears in that area. Declan Ganley's group and he is joined by others seem to have no fears either. So let, let us see but it is hard it, it is hard to imagine that business empires can be just de- deconstructed by legal cases 20 years down the line. A lot of the, a lot of those empires have, have dissipated or extended beyond our borders. But so, it's funny in the time frame but like 30 years. We're told that there are people who are now in significant positions of power around this country who weren't even born when the events that we are now discussing. But it'll, undoubtedly, I assume, we will have coverage of this wall to wall the same way we did in the tribunals once the court case actually begins. Yeah, I wonder. I wonder, you know, I, 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 th- I think a lot of younger listeners would not recall the political impact some of the revelations had to do with Michael Lowry initially. And we must point out that the, the initial... Revelations by Sam Smith in the in the Irish Independent, I think it was, um, were about Michael Lowry's de- de- the then minister's dealings with Ben Dunn. That led to a tribunal called McCracken, I think. I covered all of these, and that re- led to Moriarty. Moriarty, the Moriarty tribunal went off on a few different tangents, which ultimately led to Dennis O'Brien. But initially, it was deemed a successful tribunal because it was able to reveal the amount of monies paid to former teacher Charles Hawhey. Um, but then, what was it? As accumulation of all those tribunals, it spent fourteen years. Let us hope that um, yeah. um, it was a remarkable it, it period a of, of Irish political life. When you take Flood, uh, Moriarty, McCracken, uh, Mahan, do you remember Vincent Brown would on on his program literally have reenactments of tribunal action? Of Mahan was yeah. When big you think one. about that, and the amount of revelation when you include Burke, when you include uh, Lawler, when you include what it gave us about Hawi, what it gave us about Larry, and about extraordinary stuff by modernise. And what politicians won't ever allow again. You see, the substantive revelations about Bertie O'Hearn could be questioned um, when you compare the amounts of money involving him. Um, and and say Charles Hawhey. 
But what, what it, where it was unique was you had a sitting Taoiseach who was an extraordinarily popular man at Mahan um, at the time, sitting in a box discussing the minutiae of his finances, which just became toe-curdingly Oh, curtain tiebacks. Really. Do you remember tiebacks um, on the curtain? <laughs> oh, <laughs> let's not relive all this again. Let us move to something a little lighter horses, for a bit of, of relief. Um, the stunning news that the Italian city, region, uh, maybe, uh, I don't know, let's go with region because that, that at least gives you a broader catchment area, um, of Puglia, has too sexy a mermaid, Tara? Far too sexy a mermaid for Puglia. Uh, look, this is a statue that was created by students at a local school. Um, they essentially um, had a competition um, to put in some art installations in the region. Uh, among a number of the items that were chosen was this mermaid. Uh, she has now, the, 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 the council and the officials gave the go-ahead for her construction and she is now in, in situ. She's a curvy mermaid. She's a stunning looking mermaid. I think really um, the the quote uh, from um, the article in the Irish Times today, uh, I've lost it now, but uh, she looks like she has two silicon breasts and above all, a huge arse never seen before on a mermaid. At least not that I know of. Uh, that from one of the local officials uh, in Barry who was uh, complaining about her. I think she's beautiful. I think that the substantive point they're trying to make that it's representative and that women with curves should be celebrated for their beauty is absolutely spot on. Uh, the boobs are a bit of an issue, I have to admit, though. They're sort of more, um, they're, they're, they're more adult film star, shall we say, than Sophia Loren. John? Well, that's what I, that's what I noticed. And see, the Irish Times will write, um, will write pieces sometimes that are, uh, um, they downplay uh, issues, but they do put halfway down the first leg of the article that a, a, a Barry-based actor named Tiziana Shivarelli um, has pointed to the silicone ve- um, breasts as being the problem and less now, the voluptuous. N- n- when you say silicone, do you mean that the material used in the statue is silicone? No, they look, um, they, they, they look rather unre- unrealistic in so comparison the, the, to the The statue is stone, but it looks like it is a mermaid who's had work done. The, yeah, that may have worked in a, a strip Rotund club, for, for and instance. of regular shape, yeah. I think, is the diplo- diplomatic way to describe them. But, but then rather again, perfect, there yes. is also a um, line in there, it doesn't look like any mermaid I've seen. Now, I'm not quite sure what a real mermaid looks like, so maybe they do have silicone well, breasts. This is the bit that... Uh, maybe I focus on the wrong thing, but having looked at the picture, the 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 posterior is reminiscent of a Kardashian. Yeah. Right? Yes. Which are trendy now, of course. Now, what I don't get is anatomically, a mermaid doesn't have legs. So why would she have large glutes? Um, to propel herself through the water. But she doesn't propel herself that way. I definitely don't know the You've never looked at a dolphin and gone, my God, look at the bottom on that dolphin because they don't have bottoms because that's not how it works down there. I mean, I've never seen any mermaids personally either, but I've always imagined them to glide through the water more like the man from Atlantis than a dolphin. I remember reading a thing a while ago that apparently the mermaid was based on the West Indian manatee that sailors, when they first saw manatees, thought it looked like it was a a woman, which I always thought is a great indication of just how desperate a man can become (laughs) if he's on his ship for too long. Not enough fruit and you start hallucinating and that's what you you see. 
I'm glad that both of you are here for this career highlight and, and both of your parts discussing um, Bucks and Mermaids in Puglia. Um, other than that, thank you very much for coming in, guys. That is John Lee, uh, the executive editor of DMG Media Ireland and Tara Duggan, Group Deputy Head of News for Barrow Media Audio Ireland. The Anton Savage Show, Saturday morning at 9 on News Talk.